Thank you, Alex. Well, good evening. Good to be here. Hey, Gwen, good to see you, man. Long time no see. Good friend of mine back in the back. You can turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 14, if you'd like, as we prepare to dig into our study of God's Word. You can hear the kids singing back in the back, downstairs, if you hear them, while we were quiet there just for a minute. Just a little reminder that in a couple of weeks, they'll be doing the presentation of Go Go Jonah, and you are going to love it. They are just doing a fantastic job. A lot of little soloists popping out of the youth, of the, the kids group, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So don't miss that. That'll be uh, super. Revelation chapter 14. Let's read uh, our chapters under our consideration. Let's go through verse 13 today. That might be about where we'll end up. So let's look there. Let's read them together, and then we'll come back and uh, comment on the verses. All right? Revelation 14.1, Then I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name and the name of his Father written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of loud thunder, and the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. Verse 3. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who'd been purchased from the earth. Verse 4. These are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they have kept themselves chaste. Uh, these are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been purchased from among men as first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And no lie was found in their mouth. They are blameless. Verse 6. And I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having an, inter- having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. Verse 7. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth and sea and springs of water. Verse 8. And another angel, a second one, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Verse 9. Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Verse 11. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night, those who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on, yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow with them. A great section of the word as we have taken some time to dig in there over the last several weeks in a row. It's been nice to have some interrupt, uninterrupted time to be back in this study. But in particular, we have in focus the 144,000. Uh, their work on earth is now complete. We saw uh, early that uh, John sees a glimpse of them standing uh, on Mount Zion with Jesus himself and having his name and the name of his father written on their foreheads. And we see 
as we look there, the identifying mark that we were told they were given back in Revelation chapter 7, verse 4. Remember, before all of the calamity began to happen on the earth, uh, he, they were, uh, the angels were told to hold for a moment until they could seal those 144,000. And so we see this picture. John sees them victorious on earth, on Mount Zion with Jesus. And then the very next thing we see is this uh, idea that they are in heaven. We hear this wonderful voice. Who's this voice? Uh, that's the voice of Jesus himself. We've already seen that that was his voice. We saw verse 2. It says, I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of many waters. That's exactly the same description we had early on, right? In the book of Revelation, uh, where we saw he had the sound of many waters and the sound of loud thunder. And uh, this voice calls out. And uh, they get to sing this new song. And I like this about the Lord. You know, it's not the same for everybody like it is in public school anymore. You know, nobody gets to pass or fail. Some people don't get special privileges. You know, it's, people get special privileges in heaven, don't they? There will be people who will get reward and some who will not because the Lord recognizes the deeds. And here, the 144,000, they get to see, sing this marvelous song that no one else gets to sing. They just get to sing it. And being a musician, that's kind of jealous that they get to sing a song I don't get to sing, but they, they deserve it. And the Lord has used them in a mighty way, and they get to sing this uh, wonderful song. And if you think back to Exodus chapter 15, remember? Israel sang a song to the Lord when he delivered them from Pharaoh, right? They sang this marvelous song we have recorded for us in the Word. And here they get to get another, the, the Jews here, the 144,000, get another one. And it's a real special time for them. Now look at verse 4, if you would. It's just a marvelous thought as we've kind of worked our way through chapter 13 and we've uh, seen what's going on. Verse 4, these are the ones who've not been defiled with women, for they have kept themselves chaste. And so they're describing these guys. And uh, now that their life is, uh, their time on earth has been complete, we're at this midway point in the tribulation time. Uh, they've kept themselves chaste, it says. And so you can just can imagine this, in spite of the, the perverse system of the Antichrist, all the temptations that they will have, they have been pure and faithful to sexual purity. And the Lord uh, points that out, that they have been faithful. And uh, you know what? Today, God's able to keep us that way. He wants us to be that way now. That's not any stretch for us. God wants us to be sexually pure and uh, keep us from temptation. And uh, he, he uh, gives them, uh, draws attention to their faithfulness there. These are the ones, it says, keep on reading in chapter, uh, verse, chapter 14, verse 4. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They're going to be loyal to Jesus no matter what the cost may be. Uh, they will always be with Him. They always followed Him while they were on the earth. It's not just true just of them. Again, a great application for us. It's supposed to be true of us as well. It's one of the identifying factors of those who are truly saved. Uh, just a couple of cross-references there so that you know that uh, their desire, the 144,000, to follow the Lord faithfully is supposed to be our desire too. Jesus made that call uh, to us, Matthew 16:24. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and what? Follow me, right? He, he points out that the 144,000 did just that. He tells us that we're supposed to do that. Mark 10:21. looking at him, Jesus felt love for him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go sell all you possess, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven and come, what's it say? Follow me, right? That's our command to follow the Lord. Luke 9:23. he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, follow me. Over and over we see in the Gospels, John 10:27. my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. It's a trademark of those who know Christ. They follow what Jesus says. And I've 
many times had to struggle with those very words as I tried to reconcile someone and I'm talking to them and they say that they know Christ as their Savior, uh, but yes, they, they live a life that's in complete disobedience to what the, the Word says on a regular basis. And I say this many times to them and in my own mind to help assure me that I'm just not being too narrow. Um, you know what Jesus said, John 10:27, My sheep hear my voice. I know them. And what do they do? They follow me. You hear my voice, right? And the word rings true in the heart of the believer. It rang true in the 144,000 as they will live and do their, uh, do their work for the Lord in uh, the tribulation period. John 12:26. If anyone serves me, he must what? Follow me, right? If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Pretty simple, straightforward. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. John 14:15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's just over and over in the Word. The 144,000 are uh, pointed out that they did that just that very thing. Been faithful to the Lord, followed Him wherever He went, did what He wanted him, them to do. Now look back at verse 4, if you would, chapter 14. These, it says, have been purchased from among men as firstfruits to God and to the Lamb, and no lie was found in their mouth. They're blameless. Now, we've talked a lot about the 144,000 and who they are and all of that, so we won't go back over that, but just this. And I really like this. Um, this first fruits idea has, has the idea that this 144,000, they're the first fruits of a greater harvest that's going to come later. Okay, a greater harvest that's going to come later of Israel. Okay, when Israel, what is truly Israel, is uh, saved. Okay, now if you'd like, and I think that I didn't put this scripture up other than the reference, Romans 11.1. 1. We've looked at this before. You can leave that there for a minute, John, if you would. Um, and so you can get that copied down. But while you're copying, you could turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 11. Just hold your finger here. Romans 11, uh, verses 1 through 5. We'll just kind of uh, hit a few things there. And we're going to get to those passages as we study through the book of Romans in the morning. But I really like this particular passage. And I think it's important that we continue to remind ourselves that Israel uh, is God's chosen people. He loves them. He, and their, their temporary... Uh, grafting out resulted in our grafting in, and there's some marvelous stuff that was at work there in the, according to the Lord's uh, plan. But Romans chapter 11, verse 1 through 5, let's read that, if you would, read there in your copy of God's Word. This 144,000, that's first fruits of uh, more fruit that will come in Israel, more, more of, of uh, the Jew who will come to Christ during this tribulation time. But Paul kind of alludes to that for the future, he says in verse 1, he says, I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? Uh, may it never be. No, of course he hasn't, Paul says. For I too am an Israelite. So in other words, not all of them have rejected the Christ. Paul, he's, Paul says, I'm an Israelite, I've not rejected the Christ. Uh, I'm a descendant of Abraham, he says, of the tribe of Benjamin. Verse 2, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Verse 3, Lord, they have killed your prophets, they've torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they're seeking my life. Verse 4, but what is the divine response to him? I've kept for myself 7,000 men who've not bowed a knee to Baal. In other words, uh, Elijah, of course, is complaining that he's the only one who's faithful to the Lord. He's the only one who, who understands what the Lord wants. He's the only one who truly worships correctly. And the Lord says, no, I have some reserved for me. They've not bowed their knee to, uh, to uh, Baal. They have not been unfaithful to me. So don't worry, Elijah. I'm always going to keep uh, this remnant of true Israel to myself. And that's, uh, we had that in the past. We're going to see even greater fulfillment of that when all Israel is saved uh, in the future. 
Look back there, if you would, verse 5. In the same way, then, there has also come to be, at the present time, a remnant according to God's gracious choice. So even in Paul's time, there's this remnant. remnant. Now, verse 11. I say, then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. So not completely cast away. There are some of Israel, even in Paul's time, that were faithful. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. And so even though some have fallen away, their own transgression... Uh, you've seen this before, I'm sure, and recognize this, but their, Israel's transgression resulted uh, in the gospel coming to the Gentiles. They rejected it. And many of the, those who took the gospel out, you remember reading in your uh, New Testament that they said, okay, now I'm going to the Gentiles. You've rejected this. We'll take this gospel message to the Gentiles. And so their rejection, their turning away, has caused the Gentiles to come in. So you and I, unless you are of Jewish heritage, uh, are been blessed as a result of Israel turning away uh, from the gospel. Verse 12, look there if you would, verse 12. I'm sorry, I skipped forward a little bit. I was at verse 11. Look at verse 12. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world and their future is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? So still looking at a later date, right? Even in Paul's time, some have not rejected. Even in Paul's time, there's a remnant of the true Jew, but not the complete fulfillment of, Jew, of the Jew being saved uh, as there is going to be. So Paul's even foreshadowing this, this uh, later time where there'll be uh, more who will come in. Verse 13, But I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. Verse 14, look there, if you would. Um, if somehow um, I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. So they point out, he's pointing out that the Gentiles are coming to God, worshiping God in faithfulness and hoping to, to provoke them to jealousy and they'll turn as well. Verse 15, for if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, and so you can see that Paul kind of fleshes this out, if, if the Jew turning away from the good news resulted in the rest of the world coming in, uh, coming to faith, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? So Paul looks forward to this future where the Jew will be saved, the true, all, all those who are truly Jew will be saved. And he looks forward to that and says that that is going to result in the spiritual rebirth of Israel. Verse 25, just skip over. Paul has some parathetical remarks there and kind of explains some things, but we can get the gist of what we're looking at uh, and kind of a parallel to this passage in Revelation. In verse 25 of, of Romans chapter 11, For I do not want uh, you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery. So this is a marvelous thing that's happened. The Jew has been temporarily set aside so the Gentile can come in, but they've not been cast away. And remember, I told you as we began this study in the book of Revelation, that our focus moves away from the church. And who does it focus on? They focus on the Jew. This is the Jew's fulfillment. We're going to see this marvelous thing that God has said all along would happen uh, is going to happen. All right? It's a revealing of Jesus Christ in Revelation that we would never see, things we wouldn't know about him if we hadn't had this book. And it's this marvelous focus on God's fulfillment of his covenant to the Jew. All right? So Paul says, I want you to be informed. This is a marvelous thing now that you're going to be able to see that the Jew has been temporarily set aside so that the Gentile could come in so that, Paul says, you won't be wise in your own estimation. So we won't get like a lot of people are anymore. Well, they've rejected the gospel. We'll just kind of throw them out. God's not working with them anymore. He's out of that economy now. And he's, he focuses on the church. And now the church is Israel. See, that whole thing uh, can't stand if we take the literal understanding of just this small section of the scriptures. That God still has this wonderful plan for the Jew. And they're separate from the Gentile. And so Paul says, I don't want you to be Mr. Smarty Pants, okay, thinking that you know everything. Paul says, this is a wonderful mystery we can understand now that the Jews have been temporarily set aside and that you've come in 
So don't be, uh, don't be over, overly proud about yourself. That a partial hardening has happened, look back at verse 25, to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so that marvelous thought that, that it, the Jew has had a partial hardening so that you and I could be saved. And that's a great thing to think about. Now look at verse 26. And so all Israel will be saved just as, as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He'll remove ungodliness from Jacob. Verse 27, this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And so Paul has so much there to look at, which we'll look at when we get to that section of Romans. But just to say that Paul kind of foreshadows uh, this, this, the thing that we're seeing actually happen now during the tribulation time, which we have this 144,000 Jews picked to do this great evangelistic work, and they're being the Jew, they're being the Israelite God has always wanted them to be, a witness to the nations, and they will have a marvelous result of of their testimony and their uh, their witness. And there will be many, many millions upon millions who will come in. But this 144,000, they are the first fruits, okay? And that's exactly what the Scripture calls them. Now look back at Revelation chapter 14, okay? Verse 4, that's exactly what he, uh, Scripture says. God is now focusing on the Jew, and he's planted. These are the first fruits of the harvest of many millions of Jews who will come to faith here. These have been purchased from among men as first fruits to God and to the Lamb. That's a marvelous thought. These are the first fruits of this fulfillment, Paul says, will happen in the future. Now we see this as we kind of live this day by day with John and his, uh, and his vision here. We get to see this actually taking place. And uh, on paper, of course, we'll be in heaven. We won't be here to see this marvelous thing happen until these 144,000 are with us there. Now, look, back, look at verse 6, if you were verse 5, actually. And no lie was found in their mouth, and they are blameless. All right, so they're faithful. They give out the true word. And uh, the Lord just points out some of their character traits, their attributes of faithfulness to him. Verse 6, and I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven. We've seen a few already. We're going to see another one here at this uh, little bit past this midway point, uh, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God, give him glory, because the hour of his judgments has come. Worship him who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. Once again, witnessing to the pagan, and we've said this before, witnessing to the pagan, you start with creation. Okay? You don't have common ground in the cross. You don't have common ground in the church. You don't have common ground in Sunday school lessons and who is Moses and all of those things. And many times when we see in the scriptures, we see witnessing to the pagan, witnessing to, witnessing to the hedonist, someone who's wrapped up only in themselves. You start out with this creation idea, this who made everything. Okay? I remember many times witnessing to people who I knew their life pattern. Uh, just being acquainted with them. That's always where I started. I remember a mechanic particularly where I started with him and as he questioned the existence of God and I just said to this person, I said, uh, you're a mechanic, you work on highly complex vehicles. Uh, which one of those made themselves? An explosion in some vehicle factory somewhere and it all landed together, right? And uh, do those things keep, to, do they hold themselves together? Do they work all just like they're supposed to over a, you know, an unlimited period of time? No. You have a job because they break down, right? And uh, these things were put together by men. They were planned by men. And here the angel stands and witnesses, or is in this peak, this uh, zenith point of the heavens, and witnesses down to the earth. How long is this going to go on? I think the Lord's going to allow this to go on for a good section of time. Because remember the time period we're in right now. This is at the point in the tribulation, 144,000 are now in heaven. There's been great persecution going on, remember, because Israel's been protected 
Remember, they were delivered. We saw that in chapter 13. Uh, the ground opened up and swallowed up the army that was going to chase them down. The Lord carried them away. On uh, We have that figure of speech on the wings of eagles. Just he delivered them in his power. And so we're in this point of the, of the tribulation period where this is all going on. We saw last chapter the Antichrist is receiving worship. The false prophet is pointing everyone to the Antichrist. He's got a big statue set up, and if the statue can belch fire and smoke, the statue can speak, and those who don't worship the statue can be killed. And so you have all these people being uh, coerced into taking the mark of the beast because they're deceived by all these things that are going on. And so all this is going on, and what does the Lord in his gracious nature do? And this really kind of, as I was reading it through again just a few minutes ago before we came in, in his gracious nature... In spite of all of this deception, in spite of this false Christ who, who at some point appears to be wounded as unto death and then is resurrected because he's the, he's the opposite of the true Christ, but he's, he's uh, mimicking all of that stuff and he's got a false prophet and they're telling people all these lies, right? And in spite of all of that, in spite of people believing that and in the midst of the wrath, what does God do? He sends an angel who gives the truth, Right? An angel in the heavens, everybody can hear him. He's speaking loud enough, right? All those discs pointed at the sky all over the place, right? I grew up out west, out in Arizona. I remember driving out to California many times to visit our relatives. You go through this whole section of the desert just a little bit west of Yuma, and you've got all these discs pointed at the sky, acres of them pointed at the sky, hoping we'll get to hear a voice from outer space. They've been doing it forever. And now they're all connected with computers and all across the world, all these things are all connected. So if anybody hears a voice from outer space, we'll know the alien speaking to us. And here, they get their wish. All right? But it won't be an alien. It'll be an angel, and he'll be speaking loud enough that everyone will hear it. You won't need a dish and a pair of headphones to, uh, you know, you've seen all the movies, right? Oh, I just heard somebody say something, right? You know? What was that vibration? Oh, it's a countdown, right? Independence Day, right? Anyway, never mind. But... Uh, Everybody's looking at heavens, hoping somebody will say something from outer space. They're going to get the Lord sending an angel, and he's going to preach the true gospel. What does he say? He says, fear God and give him glory. And everybody, every nation, every tongue, tribe, and people are all going to hear him, and they're all going to understand what he's saying. Okay? Fear God. Give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. This is the great and awful tribulation time, the second half of the tribulation. And worship him who made the heavens and the earth and the seas and the springs of water. Look around you. Again, see? Uh, look around you. Everything that's made, the Lord has made all of this. Worship him. Submit to him. Right here when people are taking the mark of the beast and being coerced to do it, the angel starts preaching to the world from a point where the noonday sun would be. That's what it means to be in midheaven. Where the noonday sun would be, people can see and hear what he has to say. And he's calling all to repentance. And God continues to call men to himself. And it's never been his will that any perish. And it's not his will that any perish now. 144,000 are in heaven. And the angel speaks clearly to everyone on earth. And let them hear what he has to say. Verse 8. Series of three angels here. We're going to see the second one. Another angel, a second one, followed this one saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. So you've got this angel speaking the true gospel. Worship the one who made the heavens and the earth. Fear God and give him glory, right? Because that's, that that's the thing that non-believers uh, refuse to do, right? They won't give thanks to him. They won't give him glory. We saw that in, in uh, the book of Romans early on, right? So this next angel says, and don't hang on to this system of man, all right? That's what we're referring to when we say Babylon. Uh, Fallen is Babylon the great, she who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. All the rebellion, the system of man, Babylon, we're going to see further 
in uh, Revelation 16, they're going to describe exactly the, the actual city of Babylon and what it looks like in its destruction. But here, just Babylon, that's man's system. Babylon is falling. That's, the, that's fallen. That's the worldwide system, the politics, the economics based on the Antichrist. It's fallen flat. It's not going to work. Okay? Worship God. Give Him glory. That's what the first angel says. Repent. Fear. He made everything. Turn to Him. And don't hold on to this system of man. Don't think that this, everything's going to be okay. Because you can kind of hear that, right? We hear, we hear little uh, murmurs of that in our leaders today. Oh, everything's all right, right? The economy's in the pits and, and things are looking badly all around the world. But everything's okay, don't worry. But you can imagine the great deceiver, this Antichrist, the epitome of uh, arrogance uh, in world leaders is going to say, oh, don't worry about it. You know, our system will prevail. Man's system will work. Don't listen to, you know, this, uh, this angel. Don't listen to all of that. We got rid of all these Christians. They're gone. The world's a much better place. And so the second angel comes. First angel says, repent. Second angel comes and don't bother holding on to the system of Babylon because it's fallen. It's not going to work. And she's the one who made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her immorality. Babylon's the place where idolatry began. Genesis 11, verse 1. Uh, through 9, that's where idolatry began, was in Babylon. Revelation 16, and 16, 17 through 19, uh, deals about the details of the fall of Babylon. We'll talk about that more later. But all the nations, it says, made the nations drink of the wine of the passions of her immorality. They're intoxicated with the pleasures in rebellion against God and hatred and idolatry towards God. Okay? Uh, that's, the, that's, the, that's man's system. We've seen all of that through world history, haven't we? Men choose other things to worship. They turn away from the knowledge of the true God that we saw in Romans. And they worship the gods of their own making. And their foolish minds are darkened and they follow their own thoughts, right? Uh, that, is the, that is the idea of Babylon. They, remember, the, the nature of the Antichrist is the, the spirit of rebellion is the Antichrist. Remember the scripture tells us that? Well, this is the idea here in the epitome of all of that, the pinnacle of all that in, in history where all this rebellion is here. Uh, all along, this uh, man's system, this uh, you know, associated around men, has all always been the, uh, uh, the taking us in the direction of just pleasure and, and passion and worldly lust and idolatry and hatred and all those things. Well, that system is flat. You get to see it peek out. It's, it kind of shows its head with the, the Antichrist and the false prophet, and that system has fallen flat. And so the angel says, now don't, don't hang on to that system because it's fallen. Now look at verse 9. Then another angel, a third one, followed them all, saying with a loud voice. It's very clear. And I love this, just step by step. Repent, fear God. He made it the heavens and the earth. Don't hold on to, the, to man's system. That's a, that system has fallen flat. It's not going to deliver you. And this third angel comes along, and here's what it says. If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, verse 10 he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Verse 11, And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day and night, those who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of the name. So, repent, fear God. He's the one that made heaven and earth. Turn from this wickedness. Don't hold on to man's system. It's not going to work. It's fallen flat. And then here's the consequences if you do. You want to worship the beast. You want to worship his image. You take the number or the name of the beast on your forehead or, your, or on your hand. You have God's wrath poured out full strength on you. That's a terrifying thought, isn't it? That's a terrifying thought to think that that is the issue. And once again, and these are not 
in and of themselves the only proofs, but is this where the church is? See? Is the church here on earth? Are they the ones that are hearing this angel preach the gospel from heaven? We've heard the, we've heard the gospel, haven't we? And it was delivered once for all, right? Wasn't it? And we understood it and believed it. And kind of way, this is wrath, beloved. This is wrath poured on a world that is turned away. This is the world given exactly what they've always wanted all along. Rebellion. And so the Lord says, you want to take the mark, you want to worship the beast, you'll have the wrath of the Lord pulled out, poured out full strength. There's no playing games with the number of the beast. There's no playing games with the worship of the beast and the worship of his image. There's no, okay, it's okay, just you know, between me and you, God, you know, I, we're tight, but I'm just going to bow down here so I don't lose my head. The Lord says, no, there's no games. Either you worship the beast or you worship me. You worship the beast, you have God's fury poured out on you, full strength. It's not watered down, right? As they did with strong drink in the uh, first century, okay? Not watered down with water, not cut so that uh, it doesn't, uh, doesn't bite. This is the real thing. This is all of it poured out full strength. And it's illustrated for us, of course, uh, in hell. Uh, full strength and the cup of his anger will be pot tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And so, to some extent, throughout forever and ever, that's what it says, there will be that witness of fire, uh, of smoke going up for the torment of those who worshipped the beast and took the number of his name. You know, the Lord has saved up his wrath, hasn't he? We know that uh, the patience of the Lord works out salvation for us, doesn't it? And so we know that the Lord has stored up his wrath. And we know, that the, we know the Lord broke his wrath on Christ, but he continues now to store up his wrath for those who, uh, who will rebel, those who are, will not receive the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. And I've given you this part, part of this illustration from uh, D.G. Barnhouse before. It's a great illustration, and I'm going to give the whole thing to you now. And I think it really goes together with this idea, you know, this wrath of God that's been built up and it's going to break. Now listen to how he describes it. I'll just read it uh, to you because I enjoy it so much and probably you will too. Barnhouse says, quote, The wrath of God is like the great water impounded behind a dam. Barnhouse says, I can remember the first time I ever saw Hoover Dam, one of the greatest dams on earth. It was built across the waters of the Colorado River, and these waters have backed up for miles. They've penetrated into every little cove and valley. And that's my neck of the woods, 515 miles of shoreline once they dammed up the Colorado River. Amazing Lake Mead. It goes on to say, And thus it has been with the wrath of God. The first time there was sin committed, the wrath of God was stored up against that sin. And as men lived upon the earth, and as their hearts grew more and more wicked, and the outbreak of their sin more violent, the store of wrath grew greater and greater, held back by the patience of God, which lies across the valley of his judgment like a great dam across a river. And in his eternal foreknowledge, God the Father foresaw all of the sin that would be committed after the time of Christ, your sin and my sin. And he stored his wrath against it behind the dam of his patience. And the wrath of God against sin, and the wrath of God stored, and, and the wrath of God against sin that even today has not yet been committed is also stored up waiting for the day when his patience will end and the dam will burst into his holy end. For thousands of years, that dam has held and God has held back his wrath. Occasionally, throughout human history, he stooped to dip his hands into the pent-up flood and pour a few drops of his wrath on some especially vicious outbreak of rebellion. But for the most part, God seemed to overlook the sin of man in the centuries before the cross. It looked as if maybe his sin, sin was tolerated, but it was just piling up. You know the dam broke one day, and it broke at Calvary, and it broke on Christ, 
can it drown him in the flood of wrath against sin? And it will break again. And it will drown all those people who are not in Christ. End quote. I love that. The imagery is imperfect, of course, but it gives us an idea, in some respect, of the wrath of God against sin, how bad sin is, and how much he has stored up his wrath against it. And even so, even in the midst of this time, the seven years of wrath poured out on the earth, even during this time, he sends this angel that says, Fear God, turn from sin, repent. Right? Be delivered. And don't rely on man's system because it won't deliver you. People do that today still, don't they? Relying on man's system. I'll be okay. Right? I'm good enough. Not really a God anyway. Whatever, however they delude and deceive themselves. And so, even so, he gives an angel to witness and gives the consequences in the midst of his wrath. Now, the terrible trouble, of course, that that will cause uh, for the saved on the earth at that time once again prompts a statement. Uh, look at verse 12, chapter 14. God's going to pour out wrath on the earth. He's going to be harvesting the earth. And uh, he gives some encouragement to those who do come to faith because there will be many who will do that. Verse 12, here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven. So who, who are we talking about? Those are people who come to faith after the, after the rapture, during the tribulation time, perhaps as a result of the 144,000, maybe as a result of the two witnesses, perhaps as a result of an angel standing in mid-heaven and saying, repent, fear God, turn, right? Regardless of the message, it's the same good news message. Uh, God will forgive. He'll, he'll uh, take away your sin. But here's the perseverance of the saints who keep the commands of God and their faith in Jesus. Here's what he says, verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. And you know, as I thought about that, and blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on, that's not a whole lot longer from that point, is it? If you think about into the future, and you think about midway through the tribulation, there's not a whole lot more of dying that's going to be going on, period. But the Lord just still encourages the saints. Listen, this is going to be a terrible time on earth, very difficult time for those who believe. The Lord will be reaping the earth. There's still some more judgment to come. The earth is going to be, uh, this judgment poured out on the earth. But it's just really a great verse to illustrate how those who are regenerate are kept by the Lord. Uh, that's their perseverance. That's marvelous stuff. The Lord's Holy Spirit uh, in, our, in the heart of the believer uh, helps them to persevere. All true believers will never lose their faith, even in the midst of all the temptation, all the difficulty that will come, much more than now, will come during this time. They will still be faithful. Now, this is the perseverance of the saints. They're always faithful to the Lord. They will always remain because the Holy Spirit dwells in them. They're obedient to the truth no matter what the consequences are. They'll be faithful and they obey God's commands and remain uh, faithful to Jesus just like the 144,000. This, of course, is, is the human counterpart to what we've been seeing uh, in the morning, right? On Sunday morning, we're bound to the Savior with ties that cannot be broken. And our response because of the resident Holy Spirit is perseverance. And here, of course, they will receive uh, the Holy Spirit is a seal. They will also uh, persevere as well, bound to the Savior. And that uh, resident Holy Spirit is the factual reality. It's coupled with the outworking. Okay, Holy Spirit comes in. We're bound to the Savior. And the outworking of that is perseverance. So he just says, this is going to be tough for you. But if you die a martyr, if you're, if you're killed during this uh, difficult time, uh, realize that you are blessed. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. So even the Spirit rings in and says, yes, it's true. You die in the Lord here, don't worry. Listen, I've got you. You're mine. And, uh, and they may rest from your labors. And all these great deeds that you did and all the faithfulness that you 
showed on earth, all this stuff is going to follow right along with you. All right? So be encouraged. Now, of course, the horrific tragedy of Armageddon is brought into focus here, verses 14 through 20, but we're out of time, and we'll look at it next time together. Chapter 14, uh, we begin to glimpse uh, of Armageddon, and it's the idea of thrusting a sickle in, uh, verse 15 says, and harvesting the earth. Uh, the reaping and the harvesting and the sickle always speak of judgment, and we're going to look at this the next time we're together. All right? Now, just so you can get a little foreshadowing, verse 20 says this, The winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood came out from the winepress up to the horse's bridles for a distance of 200 miles. That's the length of Israel. Verse 9 says, To hang in there, saints, God's coming in judgment. And we see almost right away in this chapter uh, this terrible judgment of the earth being harvested. And we'll just stop right there because I can keep on going. i got a lot more notes and we're already way off our time. All right? All right, let's, uh, let's close in a word of prayer. We'll be back here in uh, two weeks. Three weeks, three weeks back into this passage, and uh, we'll do a little review and jump back in again. All right, let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for this time we can be in your word. Thank you for these marvelous visions that you've given John, things that are soon to take place. We understand them to be as true as if they've already happened, because we know that many of the passages in your word that tell of, tell of this time period also told uh, you sending your son as a babe in a manger. And so what was prophecy now and for us as history and so we know that these things also remain outstanding and waiting to be done and we know that in your timetable when the time of the Gentiles is complete that certainly all of this will occur. We believe that as certain as if uh, we were already watching it or had seen it occur and we thank you that you're a faithful God and you gird all your characteristics about with a belt of your faithfulness and what you say will happen will happen and we also trust as well Father and are grateful that you have told us that if we are redeemed we are not appointed to wrath. And we're grateful for that too. And so we give you praise. And Lord, I pray that we'll be the types of people that this type of information uh, should promote us to be. To know that the wrath is going to come, to know the dreadful things that will happen on earth should prompt us to be the types of people who have in our pri- as our priority a faithful witness. Lord, we desire as a uh, church here at Berean to grow. But we know that the way your church has always grown faithfully all through the years is by the people who you've redeemed witnessing. Help us to be that kind of people. Help us to be wise in the ways of the world and, and the clutches of, of the things of the world that continually draw us in. And, uh, instead, Lord, living here but not at home here, taking care of the things that we have to take care of, but recognizing that we belong to a kingdom that's not here yet, but that a kingdom that will never fade away and always prevail. So help us to live as those types of subjects. And we give you praise today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.